Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Think about a time when you have said or thought, this will never change. When I, when I was a kid, I was a big fan of Michael Jordan like many were. When I was a kid, I thought he would never stop playing basketball. He'll never retire. He'll just keep winning championship after championship after championship. When I was in my 20s, I thought Albert Pujols will never leave the Cardinals. He'll never sell out. He'll never go somewhere else. When I got out of college, I took my uh, first job at a, a sports medicine outpatient clinic. I had my degree in physical therapy and I started working at this clinic. I was treating athletes who had torn their ACL. I was ACLs. I was uh, treating 40-year-olds who had torn rotator cuffs because they still thought they were 21. Um, you know, I, I had this job. I loved it, and I loved this job. I, I, sometimes I went into work at 6 a.m. and got home at 8 o'clock at night, but I loved it. I loved the intensity of it. I thought, this is, this is what I want to do. This is, what I, this is the direction I want to go. I'll never do anything else. I love this. When we bought our first house, uh, we, my wife and I bought our first home in South City of St. Louis. And man, shout out to South City. We loved South City, loved our neighborhood, loved our neighbors, loved the food that was around us, loved uh, the parks. Like we just, we loved it. We fell in love. And, I, and she'll, my wife will vouch for me. I said to her, I said, we're never moving. We're never moving. Well, Michael Jordan has long been retired Albert said sayonara to the Cardinals for a bigger paycheck. Um, I no longer work at, sport, at a sports medicine outpatient clinic, and we no longer live in South City. Things that I thought would never change all changed. What are the things in your life? What are some of the things that you've been convinced of when you think back, when you reflect back, and you thought this will never change, that in your present, it has changed. I mean, if this past year and a half has done anything, it has, it has reminded us that anything can change. Anything can change. If I would have come up to you two years ago and I said, hey, in a couple of years, you know, whole cities will shut down. We'll be quarantining uh, everywhere. You know, people will wear masks into restaurants and grocery stores. If I would tell you that were to happen months before it actually happened, you would have looked at me and said, that would never happen. We would never live like that. You probably would have put money on it. You probably would have taken that bet. What have you said, thought, or determined that, would you, that you just think would never, ever change? We all have something. We all have something that we once believed, whether it was out of like, like as, you know, as out of naivety, you know, from being a kid and just not understanding the world enough, or as an adult, just being convinced that our life was headed in a certain direction. What are the things that you thought would never change that have changed? Because we all have something. We've all thought that way. We all have this, it's like we all have this desire to anchor ourselves in something that we believe is permanent. There's something comforting about having something that we think and believe and are convinced of will never change, that's reliable, that we feel is sure. 
In our text today, we're gonna look at King David who has written a psalm of praise to God. And the psalm starts with praise and it ends with praise. But it's David pauses right in the middle of the psalm to give us insight into why he is praising. David is gonna stop and he's gonna reflect on a time when his life got turned upside down. And he starts this reflection in verse six. And he says this, he says, I said in my prosperity, I will not be moved. Bold statement. I said in my prosperity, I will not be moved. Apparently, we aren't original in thinking that the things that, 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 things that are temporary will last forever, that, that there are things, that, that some things will never change that, that can change or will change. David is, he's just being classic human here. He's being classic you and I. I said in my prosperity, I said in my health, I said in a season of comfort, I will not be moved. This will never change. I will never be dethroned. I will never lose in battle. I'll never face defeat. I'll never give in to temptation like the way the you know, previous leaders of, my, uh, of the Israelites have. I said in my prosperity, I said when everything was going my way, David had the job that he wanted. He had the power that he wanted. He, had, he was God's man. I said in my prosperity, I will not be moved. This will never change. You know, so many of us are trying to arrive somewhere. We're trying to achieve something. We're trying to get to some level of, of comfort or success or experience. Well, David did it. He had arrived. And what happens? Things move. Things that David said would never move, they move. Things that David thought would never change, they changed. And it only takes one verse. It goes from verse uh, six where I'm saying this will never change to verse seven. And this is what he says in verse seven. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. And let's just pause here halfway through the verse because David probably, what he's realizing as he's reflecting back on this time, he's realizing that he had some false assurances because he gives credit. He is recognizing that God was the one who made his mountain stand strong. See, what David forgot in his health and in his prosperity, while he was, what, while, what he forgot was that it was God who made his mountain. It was God that made him stand strong. It was God that gave him favor and gave him a seat. See, God created it. David didn't create it. But where had David arrived? David said, he said, in my prosperity, I said, but it's not for David to say. God gave him that seat. God can take that seat away. And what happens, that's exactly what God does. Trouble comes in David's life. The second half of that verse, it says, you hid your face. I was dismayed. David's speaking of a time when trouble came upon him. This word in Greek is bahal. And say, uh, you can say bahal with me if you want. It means, it means to be sorely terrified to be sorely terrified. This wasn't like David had a bad day. He didn't have a bad week. Like his life was upside down. His life could perhaps maybe was even like he thought he was going to die. It's that kind of terror and that kind of dismay that David is feeling. One commentator writes that David's mountain was shaken and he with it. It proved when he grew secure that he was the least safe. Why? Why? Because David had let temporary comfort. 
he had let temporary blessing and temporary success and temporary health start to be his anchor. Who made David prosper? God did. David says it. You made my mountain stand strong. Who allowed trouble to come upon David? God did. God hid his face. God did. You see, God loves David too much to stand by idly while David starts building and basing his life on what is passing away and on what is and on not what is permanent. See, God understands things in this life. They're gonna slip through our fingers. Things that we think will never change are going to change. And he doesn't want our hope and our, and our, our peace and our life to be rooted in and built upon those things that are gonna pass away. See, God did not change. David's circumstances changed, but God did not change. Some of us may be sitting on top of a mountain that God has allowed us and enabled us to build. And there, there is a warning in here for, for those who find themselves in this position because pride, just like it was for David, is crouching at the door. It's ready to creep in unnoticed. It's ready to start patting you on the back and telling you, man, how amazing are you for the life that you have made, for the, for the, uh, you know, for the career that you have carved out. What, way to go. Look at what you have done. It's a warning for us humble ourselves, guard our hearts. Some of us aren't on the mountain, but our lives are upside down. We're in the valley. We're in trouble. Some of us are suffering, suffering financially, suffering physically, mentally, relationally. Some of us like David are, are, are feeling solely terrified. He, he was suffering, a deep suffering, a genuine suffering, a deep pain. And, and what does David do? It's really important for us to see what he does because in his pain, he turns to prayer. We'll pick it up in verse eight. He says to you, he says, to you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. David is on his knees here pleading with God. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. What's David doing? He begins to bargain with God. He, hey, if I die, how, how can I praise you? Will the dust praise you? Is, is my death really the best option here? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think David is, is teaching us how to pray. I think he's just being human. I think he's just being vulnerable before his creator. He's crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. I am suffering. Remove this from me. I'm hurting and I want to be done hurting. He's crying out to God. You know, it's okay. It's okay to be, to pray. In fact, not just okay, we should Pray with honesty, with vulnerability, sharing with God our deepest insecurities and everything in, in between. And, and just to say, God can handle your ugly. You know, we, we tend to like wanna guard God from the, this stuff, this, the junk that's going on here, but that's, it's, it's, it puts a wall up between us. God can handle our brokenness. He can handle our pain. He can handle our questions. He's big enough. He can handle it. It's not like you're gonna catch him off guard. It's not like he doesn't know what's going on inside of us. 
He is the God, he is creator of all things. He knows all things. He is holding all things together. He knows what's going on inside of you. But it's so important to practice what David is doing here because David is taking what he's feeling here and he's getting it out here. He's getting it out and he's proclaiming it and he's sharing it and, he's, and we gotta get it out here so we can deal with it. It's a part of the process. It's a healthy part of the process to turn to prayer. See, to think like that though, to think like David did and to be able to be that honest, we have to uproot our anchor from our circumstances and we have to place it in God. When we discover ourselves putting our hope in what is passing away, it's, it's important that we turn to prayer like David did. Because when we pray, we, are, we aren't just turning toward prayer, but we are turning toward God. We can't turn toward prayer and away from God. Well, he, we're, we're reorienting ourselves. We are reorientating ourselves to turn towards God. And what does God do in our passage? He answers David's prayer. And we love it. We love it when this happened. God works a miracle. He spares his life. David asked to be rescued and God rescued him. He asked for healing and God healed him. Whatever deep suffering David was going through, God removed it and praise God. And then David is just doing in this psalm what comes natural for us to do when we have a near-death experience, a near-life-ending experience, and our life is saved. David just, he begins to rejoice. He begins to tell others about it. He begins to bring others into his praise. I mean, think about it. If someone stepped in front of a bullet for you, if today, as you were going about, all of a sudden, there was someone who was going to shoot you and someone else stepped in front and took that bullet for you. You would not quietly go about the rest of your day doing the things that you would normally do. You would not keep that information to yourself. No, you would be, you would be woken up to a fresh appreciation of life, to the awareness of, of how fleeting even our life can, is when it feels like it's gonna last for so long. If you, if you had that experience, you would be calling your family and you'd be calling your friends. You would be going to your coworkers and telling them, you will never believe what happened to me today. My life was gonna be over and then someone stepped in and they saved me. You would begin to rejoice. You would express gratitude for what what happened. You would bring others into your gratitude as you shared with your family and friends. They would start rejoicing because they're thinking, oh my gosh, your life could be over today, but you're still here with us. And then all of a sudden, it's just not one person's praise, but it's a whole collection of people who are praising. And there's just this outward ripple effect that happens. And that's what David is doing in these verses. In these verses leading up to his reflection, he, he's beginning with praise and gratitude and he's leading others into it. He says in verse one, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you've brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, he says. To, and check this out. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. And give thanks to his holy name. David's praising, but he's telling others about it as well. His life was spared. God worked a miracle. He's bringing others into his rejoicing, others into his gratitude, bringing others into the praise of God. 
And it's because there's always this outward trajectory of God's impacts. God, God shows us his love so that we can show other people love. God shows us his mercy so that we can show others mercy. He, he shows us forgiveness so we can extend forgiveness to others. He gives us a reason to rejoice so that we can bring others into rejoicing. And, you know, it's because of this dynamic, because of this, this reality, because of this, this outward movement that, that exists all through scripture that God calls his, his church into and that God, and it's this reality that God hasn't called a person, but he's called a people. It's why we're so big about community groups here at Jubilee. Why we're, we're always encouraging people and trying to move people into a community group, to find relationships, to find people to do life together with. See, David is written this psalm to God, but who is, he's singing it in front of Israel. He's sharing both his mess and the reason why he has to rejoice with the people. He's bringing the people with him into his praise. It's a community event. See, God's intention for you is not to just have this one-on-one -on -one relationship with God where it's just you and him every day and you have these experiences and it stops and ends with you and him. That's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be brought out. See, when we share what God's doing, it brings others into the rejoicing. Their faith is built. They are encouraged. When we are struggling, they can come around and they can, they can hold on to us. They can, they can hold us up. They can encourage us. They can pray for us. It's a community event. And I just want to encourage you, if you are not in a community group, I will, just, I will to just encourage you to get in a community group. Find a group online or in person. Find people. Find people that you can be encouraged and reminded of who God is so that you can be sustained in the suffering, so that you can be helped to be kept humble when you're on the mountain. See, David, in verse 11, after his reflection, he's continuing to praise. And he's continuing to, but, but verse 12, I wanna look at verse 12 because David says why God rescued him. Why God raised him up on the mountain and brought him down through the suffering and then healed him. Verse 12 says that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. What's David saying? He's saying, you brought me high. You brought me low. You rescued me. Why? So that I may sing your praise and not be silent. Circumstantially? No, David says forever. Not based on circumstance. It's forever. See, God's purpose in the giving and the taking away is not so that God could pull David in one direction and then another. It's not because God is unkind. It's, it's not because he wanted to hurt David. It wasn't because David had lost his eternal favor with God. In fact, it was because God favored David that he allowed him to suffer. Think about that for a moment. Because God David favored, because God favored David, he allowed David to suffer. He wanted David to not just love the, the, the temporary blessing, not to just enjoy it, not, in, be, not enjoy what is temporary because he knows, God knows there is no life. There is no peace. There is no eternal purpose in what is passing away, in what is temporary. David isn't bringing any of his riches or palaces or land or armies with him into heaven. He wanted David to be grounded in a loving relationship with the one who gives the blessing, with the one who sustains through the suffering. See, with the one who gives eternal life when there is eternal blessing and eternal worship. 
And notice that David isn't resentful of the suffering. He isn't preoccupied with palaces. Rather, he is consumed with worship and it leads to David. And it leads David to say, he will give praise to God. He's praising God, not circumstantially, not for a moment, not because life finally turned out the way that he wanted, not because God answered his prayer. And that's, what, and, and that's the end. No, no, no. He says, I'll praise you forever. He's bringing it to his community. He's bringing it to his people. He's bringing them into the praise. May I propose to you that our unchanging God is using the mountain and the valley, is using your ever-changing circumstances to lead you toward life, toward freedom, and toward peace. May I propose to you that our unchanging God is using the mountain and the valley to serve his eternal purposes. May I propose to you that on the mountain and in the valley, in prosperity and in suffering, God wants to lead you to a place of rejoicing and gladness, not just as a result of a certain outcome that we wanted, but even in the midst of difficulty. See, here's what I can't promise. I can't promise your prosperity will last another day that's here on this earth. And I can't promise that your suffering will end tomorrow. But what I can reflect on and what I can promise is this. God promised that he would save us from our sin. That he would send a rescuer to free us from our brokenness. And Jesus came. He promised that and he sent Jesus. And Jesus lived perfectly. And Jesus went to the cross and all of the wrath that God had for everyone, for all of mankind, for everyone who could not, would not, did not live perfectly, who did not live righteous, for, for you and I who have evil thoughts and have done evil things and had said evil things, for us, God the Father poured out the wrath that belonged to us onto Jesus on the cross. And then Jesus, he conquered our sin by nailing it to the cross and he took our punishment. And then he conquered the enemy by raising to life three days later and he ascended to heaven. He's at the right hand of the father. He's alive today. And all of this is done and all of this has been done and all that Jesus did was for you and I, so that if we receive his mercy, if we believe that Jesus is God, if we orient our life under his rulership, we will one day be in heaven with him. See, Jesus was set out. See, Jesus' anchor wasn't in his circumstances, it was in his God. And his concern was to honor and glorify his father in heaven. And because Jesus was who he said he was, we get to be set free. We get to be forgiven. We get to be redeemed. And here's where we cast our anchor. Here is where our hope lies. Here's the reality that we can live in that enables us to have gratitude in the midst of suffering because you might be suffering right now, but you can have peace in the midst of your pain. It's the promise that one day, one day we will be face to face with Jesus. See, he promised that he came, that he would come and he came and he promised that he would return. And his promise is when he returns, is that he will wipe away every tear, is that he will put away every sickness, every affliction, the suffering 
that you are in right now will be done once and for all. See, David says in verse five, his anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy, joy comes with the morning. Anger always gives way to favor every time. Weeping always gives way uh, to, to joy every single time. Suffering does not get the final word. The final word is that suffering gets destroyed. The final word is that God gets to be glorified. The final word is that joy is on its way. And it's not just a temporary joy. It's an eternal joy. There is one day that health is coming. It's not temporary health. It's an eternal health. Now, one day, one day that will make this present suffering feel like a puff of smoke. And I know it's hard. I know it can be a grind. I know it can feel difficult. And this isn't to say that we are to be, you know, happy, clappy Christians and just putting on a face. No, there's real days where we're deep in our suffering and we are grinding and we are crying out to God like David did. But God wants you to know that in the midst of that, he can break in with peace that surpasses understanding. When we put our hope in an eternal God and we remember that our present circumstance is going to feel like it was here today and gone tomorrow. Because even if we have 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 hard years of life on this earth, there is an eternity. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of years that we are going to, we can't even wrap our mind around eternity. There is gonna be an eternity with God in heaven, with none of this, with no more suffering, with no more hurt. See, the final word, the final word is God's glory and eternal joy. That's the final word when we live in that reality, when we live with an eternal perspective, it allows gratitude to spring up in our heart. It allows us to suffer and say, still, I will praise the Lord. Though I am persecuted, I am content. Though I have hardship, I am grounded in the love of God that sustains me. My circumstances don't sustain me. My God sustains me. So church, let's cast our anger on him today.